Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Welcome. All right, that'll work. We'll go with that. It is a great day to be in the house of the Lord, is it not? Um, this is a fantastic day. So glad um, that you have come to join us. We're actually in our third, uh, our third installment, our third week of a series called Family Dynamics. And just as the little tagline says on the screen right now, we are, we're trying to go back to some vintage truths and some vintage values to try and help us to navigate cultural change. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but cultures are changing, right? Um, it's always been changing, but, but in our time, it seems like things are happening so fast. So the best thing that I thought that we could do and what we should do and I'm convinced that the Lord wanted us to do is to go back to some some solid principles in the Word of God and reflect upon them, maybe be challenged by them, and that we would adhere to those truths, that our lives would be better, our marriages would be better, maybe our kids would be a little bit better, and our, all of our relationships and our family would be better. I have high hopes for this series. Um, this series and every series that we do here at the church um, is, uh, is meant to kind of all go together. All these messages go and they form a series to be one message. Um, so if you have missed the first two weeks, it's cool. Um, we've put them online for you. You can catch up um, whenever you have time to do so. Um, and they are there um, at your disposal. Well, this morning, and we do this uh, for all of uh, of this series, there's there's certain questions that are that are being answered uh, amongst all of these messages. And the question today, and this will be on the screen, the question today that I hope to have answered by the end of this, just so you know, in case you fall asleep or you know you do whatever, like you mentally check out. Um, this is the this is the question that I I want to have us answer today. How can my family reach their full potential? Mac, if we could get that on the screen. Thank you. How can my family reach their full potential? How can they reach their full potential? Maybe for you, 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 you've actually came for the first two weeks of this series and you sit back and you're like, yeah, I think we've already lost the potential. Um, because maybe you've been convicted about some things out of the first two weeks and you're like, you know what, I've already lost something and I can't get it back. I would just want to tell you, you can get it back. Um, and, and that there is hope. Um, in Christ. And if we would make some changes in our life, things will automatically get better. As a matter of fact, I have made this message be so simplistic and so uh, really so applicable that that many of these things are just going to, they, they would tend to just like slide right over your head like that's that's so simple, then that uh, it's just so simple, I, I just don't even know if I'm going to do that. But I've made it simple so you could apply some of these things to your life. So you wouldn't have to wonder, well, I don't know, what, what am I supposed to do? I, I've, I've tried to make it explicitly clear in some ways that would help you. Um, it certainly helped me. And we've said this for the first two weeks. I'll say it again this week. There's no perfect family. And we all have issues in our family. We all have we all have struggles. We all have some heartbreak. And we've we've gone we've had good times. We've had bad times. And most of of life happens in the context of family. Amen. And and sometimes the the family could be such a wonderful and great place and bring such hope and peace and oh, such restoration. But then on the other hand, there's that part of family that just seems like. That 
maybe you, you've gone through some struggles and, and you've had some really, really hard times. And maybe you're leaning and thinking, you know what, I, I've, I don't know if I can get it back. I don't even know if I could have potential. I just want you to know um, that there is no perfect family. And, and this scripture that you will see today, even Jesus' family was not perfect. Okay, Jesus was perfect, but his family was not perfect. As a matter of fact... Is maybe you think you've had times in your life, you're a parent, where you've thought, you know what, I'm not the best parent. I have to tell you, Jesus' earthly parents actually lost him for three days. Okay? Three days. So there's probably been that time at Walmart or Kroger where your kids kind of hid from you for about three minutes, and it seems like three days, but he was literally gone for three days. Three days. It's makes you feel better, doesn't it? You're like, ah, I've been better than that. I'm... I'm better than Jesus' parents, and in that way, maybe you are. Um, whenever I was 12 years old, um, I had this, I was 12 going on 13, I had this incredible, incredible opportunity as a family um, to go to the Smithsonian. Um, who, by show of hands, who's been able to go to the Smithsonian? A few. Ra- raise them up, that's cool. There's not a whole lot of us. It's an amazing, amazing place. And I remember all I wanted to see was the dinosaurs and the airplanes. That's all I wanted to see at the Smithsonian. And we were only there for a short time, and, and I didn't get to see everything, but I got to see dinosaurs, and I got to see airplanes. So I was a happy camper. As I was there with my cousins and, um, and, and my aunts and, and my mother and my brother, and we were all there, and we're checking stuff out. And, you know, we're just like, we're like a herd going through the Smithsonian. We're checking out everything. And, you know, my mom's kind of jerking my arm along. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Well, we were, we were actually in the building um, where the dinosaurs are. And me and my little cousin, we're just kind of checking stuff out, and we're just like amazed. There's like, you know, these like skeletons and all this. And uh, so we're just kind of just absorbing all of this experience. And then we kind of stopped for a minute. My cousin was to my right, and we kind of stopped, and I looked around, and we started to have that lonely feeling, and we realized that the rest of our family was gone at the Smithsonian. Did I mention I was 12? Okay? So we're kind of, we're scared, and my cousin's like really scared. He's starting to tear up, and he's kind of a wiry guy, and he's like, he's wanting to run around and go find him, and and I'm thinking, no, 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 we're just going to hang out here. Um, We're just going to hang out. And, and not even realizing, realizing the severity of the situation. Did I mention we were actually at the Smithsonian Institute? Thousands of people. And I'm, now we're officially lost, and I'm 12. Okay, And I'm in charge of my little cousin. So he's wanting to run off and find him. And I'm like, what direction do we go? I mean, they'll be all over the place. So I, I had actually uh, did one thing right that day. I took my parents' advice that they had given me before that. And they said, if you're ever lost, what do you do? You stay put. And I did. And even when my cousin wanted to run off and go find him, I said, we were going to stay put. We were there for two hours. Okay? This is like before the Night of the Museum came out. So, like, I didn't have, like, these visions of, like, dinosaurs coming out and attacking us and all that. But, like, we're sitting there. We are literally lost for two hours. Just so you know, not even my family life has been perfect. And we came back. My mom was, like, she was... You know, I should have asked for like a pony or like my own jet because I know she would have given it to me. She felt terrible and we reunited and we saw the rest of the deal and, you know. Um, but there's no perfect family. Whether it's my family, they're certainly not perfect. Whether it's even Jesus' earthly family, they weren't perfect. And I know your family's not either. 
But every family has a certain potential that they're supposed to reach. Every, every family has a goal. If you're on earth, you have a goal as a family. And if you're a Christian, your ultimate goal is to bring glory to God in everything. And yet, if you're raising kids, it should be to raise godly offspring and that they would go out and that they would, just like we talked about a couple weeks ago, that they would be sent out to do their own ministry work and that they would be able to impact other people and then that their children would impact other people. And, and we talked about that from the book of Malachi chapter 2, that what's the purpose of, of godly marriage is to create godly offspring. Um, that's just what the Bible says. And yet... All of us, we, we kind of have these situations where we feel like we've lost something. But I just want you to know that there's hope because whatever you think you've lost, God can totally bring you exactly what you need. So let's jump into his word, if we could, please. We're going to be in the book of Luke. New Testament, third gospel. We've actually spent a lot of time in the book of Luke intentionally over this last year. We've been in Luke's writings, really the last year and a half, we've been in Luke's writings heavily. I mean, we will be um, even until uh, really up through next year because I really wanted us to go deep into his writings and to kind of hear from his voice. Um, Specifically, each gospel writer, there are four, all four of the gospel writers, they have kind of the same stories, but the gospels were written for a different audience in mind, each one of them was. And Luke it kind of writes it in a perspective that we can understand a little bit more uh, clearly. So we've been kind of resting in, in some truths um, and even the stories, uh, things that have happened in Jesus' life. Well, what we're going to jump into today from Luke 2 is this is Jesus' childhood. There are gaps of time we have no idea um, what happened with Jesus. We know that, that he was... He was circumcised just like he was supposed to. It actually says this earlier um, in the book of Luke. We know that he was circumcised just like all good Jewish boys were in Jewish homes. They were. And he was circumcised. That was the custom of the law. Uh, We do know that. And and that happened to him. But we have no idea what happened from that time to what's going to be mentioned today. And then after what happens today, there's a, a big span of time from the time he's 12 years old until he... He turns 30, but we have no idea what Jesus did. We have no idea. We, we have a reason to believe, and scholars have reason to believe, that actually that Joseph died from the time of, of this text until when Jesus started his, his earthly ministry. There's strong um, a belief that Joseph, um, his, his earthly father, um, that Joseph had died and that Jesus was responsible for um, caring for financially for the family. And we know that he had brothers and sisters. So he had a heavy responsibility, but yet there's some mystery in the Bible that we don't know exactly what Jesus looked like. What color eyes did he have? What color hair did he have? Did he have hair? We don't know. We don't know. And yet, we see some invaluable things, specifically from the book of Luke, chapter 2. Speaking of Jesus in verse 40, it says this, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let that soak in just for a minute. Jesus, as as a boy, not not yet a man, a boy, he grew and he became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. 
It says in other parts of the Bible that, that Jesus has, he did not sin. As a matter of fact, that, that he who knew no sin, he took on sin on the cross for our behalf. So his, he, 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 he understood and he got the grace of God. He showed the grace of God. Verse 41 says this, Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast, according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Uh-oh. They were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Pay attention to the timeline here, if you would, please. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the, the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. Everyone who heard them was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I, speaking of Joseph, have been anxiously searching for you. Look what Jesus says. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Speaking of God the Father. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. When he went down to Nazareth with them, or excuse me, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. It's Jesus. Let me just clear up a little bit of confusion. Um, and there's going to be four takeaways today that we're really going to bore into the first one even more. You're going to find some very practical things. I would just say this. If there's something that seems like a good idea for you to do, write it down, put it in your phone, whatever it takes for you to, to be able to do uh, what it is that you feel the Lord speaking to you to do. But the idea of, in verse 46, it says, after three days that Jesus was found. You see, on day one, they had gone out, and, and they would travel in, in a caravan. There was strength in numbers. And there was crime in that day, just like there's crime in our day. And they would go out, and they would caravan. There would be a large group of people who would go to all the festivals, and they would all go to Jerusalem. And as they would be going to Jerusalem, from wherever community and city that they were coming from, they would travel in caravans, and, and, and some scholars believe that actually the, the wife and children, or the, the, the women and children would be up front, and then the men would, would be in the back, that way to make sure that there's no sneak attacks from people, from bandits and people who would want to go rob them, so that the women would be protected and, the, and that the, the men would be watching over them as they would progress on. I can imagine that they were in their caravan and they get a day out, and it says this in the text, that they were a day out and then they realize, well, where's Jesus? And they're looking around, and it's not too far-fetched of an idea to think that maybe even Joseph was in the back and that Mary was in the front, and then Mary thought that Jesus was with Joseph, and then Joseph thought that Jesus was with Mary. Who knows? We don't know that for sure. And yet they get a day out and they're kind of scratching their head. Oh, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Things get a little bit frantic, don't they, moms, right now at this point? Getting a little bit frantic. 
So then they go back to Jerusalem. So they're one day out, one day back to Jerusalem. And then they look in the city of Jerusalem, which the city of Jerusalem during a time of festival would, would grow in number in the thousands upon thousands upon thousands. So a full day of looking in the city of Jerusalem for Jesus. So three days all total, he was lost. If you could please draw your attention to verse 41. It says, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. This was a family tradition. This is something that not only their family, most Jewish families, if they could, they would make the pilgrimage back a couple times a year back to Jerusalem. The takeaway, number one takeaway this morning uh, for us as family is to establish some intentional family traditions. This is something that they did. They wanted their faith to be front and center. Sure, they had, there was a lot of problems with the Jewish faith. They didn't recognize Jesus. Jesus was there. And even growing up uh, in, in his time of ministry and even the cross and the resurrection, the Jewish people, they're still looking for Jesus. They totally missed it. Some of them did. And yet one of the things that is, I think, highly valued out of their, their culture, their customs, their lifestyle, is that they had these traditions that they had instilled for generations. They knew that every family had a, a great amount of potential and that that potential would be lost if they didn't keep to these traditions. What traditions do you have? Some of you have kind of strange traditions, to be honest with you. Some of you have cut your child's hair, kept the clippings from the first child's haircut, and put it in a little Ziploc bag, and then put it away in a drawer for years to come. To me, I don't want to let necessarily a show of hands, but I can see the guilt on your face. Why in the world do we do that? You can you need to zip it up, and you know what it looks like? It looks really creepy. We have these at home, by the way, it, and it's it's in my drawer, and it like it looks creepy because the pigment actually goes away from from the hair color. It's like not even there, and it like it turns weird, and it doesn't look real, and it kind of looks like a doll's hair, right? You know that it does. And we have these traditions, and I'm not saying they're bad, and we kind of, maybe you put them in a little book, and, you know, mom, you kind of go through the book, and you cry a little bit. I remember that haircut. And the dad's like, I remember too. He was screaming the whole time, you know. But we kind of have some strange traditions. Sometimes traditions just kind of happen, um, like at our house. There, there's a tradition. You, you may very well not come back to this church knowing this. Um, this is like a privy into the Zook's house. This is 306 Winfield Road right here. That's what this is. Don't be a creeper and look in my windows to try and verify it, but this is the truth. And I asked my wife permission to share this so you know that it's good. Um, when, when my wife grew up, kind of the tradition when they would clean the house is they would, uh, in her home, they would rock out to some Donna Summer on the album, right? Oh, 8-track, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 8-track, 8-track. Um, if you were born after 1985, you had no idea what 8-track is. Just smile and go with it. 8-track, sorry. But they'd put that 8-track in. And while they're cleaning the house, they'd be rocking out to some Donna Summer, and then all of a sudden it would turn into this instantaneous dance party. Am I right? Well, that has been a tradition now that has been carried into my home. 
And now, just for just because I know that it exists, and because if you want to interject a little fun, now whether it's through my iPod, I'll type up, you know, I'll put something on YouTube, and I'll rock it out, and I'll put on a little Donna Summer. And I have to tell you, the Zook ladies are a dancing, and it's awesome. And sometimes, don't tell anybody, but sometimes the Zook men even get in there and dance too. It's true. It's fun. It's fun. It's not good, but it's fun. Some of you, you know, we all have these natural kind of traditions, though. Like some of you, opening day of baseball, you know, like it's got to watch a baseball game. Like you don't watch baseball any other time, but it's like opening day, and that's, that's a, tra- a tradition for you. Or maybe it's the Super Bowl. You don't even watch a single football game, but then all of a sudden it's Super Bowl Sunday, and, you know, even you ladies watch football on that day. You know, we have these traditions. But let me ask you this. What spiritual traditions have you passed on in your home? Like we have traditions. Some are kind of quirky. Some are just fun. And those are good too. But what spiritual traditions are you passing on? Because for your family to reach their full potential, you have to do things on purpose. And you have to establish some intentional family Traditions. Some traditions uh, that kind of going down a list. I just thought of some things, and um, it's kind of a lengthy list. But um, we have some daily connection traditions that you can start. Daily connection traditions. When you have dinner as a family, maybe your tendency as a family is, and our family used to be this way, but it's not anymore. To where it's just like you're just going 15 different directions. Maybe you just need to create this, this tradition to say, you know what? We're actually going to spend this amount of time, whatever the length of time it takes for you, to ta- for you to eat, that you would sit at your table and you would just create a tradition to where you would sit together as a family. And that may be the only time as a family you can actually get together, but we're all going to eat, right? So why can't we all just kind of rally around the dinner table doesn't matter if it's a home-cooked meal or if it's pizza from Little Caesars. Why can't we do this? Why can't we do this? That's a daily connection tradition. In a mealtime, it'd be a great time to, for you to coach them, maybe just to share a single verse with them. I'm not talking about you need to be a, a theologian, you need to get out a systematic theology, and well, we're going to go through pages 1 to 40 tonight. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a single verse, to talk about a single verse and how you can apply that in the context of your family. For, even for, for married couples, if you don't have any kids, this would be an amazing thing for you to start. But if you don't do it intentionally, it probably won't happen. But it's a great time for you to start. Maybe you just got married and you're going to have kids. How amazing would that be for you to kind of start to do some legacy building even before the kids come? And when kids come, that that would just be a part and just that would be a daily tradition, a family tradition that would be passed on. Another thing is maybe when you're specifically with kids, and you're putting your kids to bed. That would be a great time to encourage and inspire them. Just tell them about some, some great things that you've seen them do. Maybe something that happened that day, and maybe they made a good choice, and maybe that would be a good time to encourage them to say, hey, I really appreciated the way that you did that. You handled yourself so well right there. I can see you're growing up so, so much. 
Kids need to hear that. They want to hear that. They long for it. Maybe that would be something that even as a married couple, maybe you could, as you go to bed at night and you sit down and you just have, you know, you just talk in bed and you just sit and you just share. Maybe it's just a a tradition. Maybe you could just get in bed just as married couples just to sit and talk and share a couple things about your day. Just to share. Daily connection tradition. Then there's a weekly connection tradition. This I thought was invaluable also. Church participation. Not church attendance. That's the easy part. That's the easy part. Getting here is easy. But church participation. And by that I mean these things. Instilling them just a tradition to actively listening to what's going on. While you're here. To actively listen. That, that means you're, you're participating in what's happening. Whether it's in DBC Kids or, or Arise or whether it's in here, you're actively listening. Maybe teaching them to, to actively worship. So they can have some freedom in worship themselves. Maybe they need to kind of step out of their box a little bit. Maybe you need to step out of your box a little bit. And just to actively fellowship. Maybe a, just a weekly connection tradition for you is to not get here at 11.10 or 11.05 or at 11. Maybe just get here at like quarter till 11 to where you kind of connect and you fellowship and get to know the other people that are here. That would be a great tradition for you to start. We're going to talk more about that in three weeks as well. Maybe it's actively serving, a great opportunity. And I've seen you do this, and this has been so encouraging to Marla and I. And I know Miss Bo, she, she pretty much heads up what happens at, at the soup kitchen. Miss Bo, could you raise your hand real quick? Could you? I just want to embarrass you all the way up. I mean, not, don't go halfway. That's Miss Bo. Um, we love Miss Bo. But she kind of spearheads the soup kitchen. And it has been something that, that we have talked about many times is to see that, that the newer families who are coming to the church, that they bring their whole family to go serve at the soup kitchen. That's, that's teaching them to actively serve. That the serving is something that can be done even for little knee knockers. They come in and serve. And they get used to it. And it's so encouraging to me to see a little four or five year old to walk across the room and to hand a sandwich and to hand an apple or hand an oatmeal cream pie to the little children at the soup kitchen who are hungry. How amazing is that? That's something that we can teach them to actively serve. And I love it when you all do that. We love that. Maybe for you, just a weekly connection tradition is, is after you leave this place, that maybe you go off to lunch and you just sit down and talk about um, the service and it's just really what, what God spoke to you about. To where you make, you know, we do Sunday lunch. We're in the South. Sunday lunch is kind of what happens, Right? And it's kind of a really big deal. I didn't realize how big of a deal it was until, you know, until I got here. And it's like, no, we're doing Sunday lunch. We can't do anything. I'm like, all right, I get it. Cool. I'm, I'm going to eat too, but I'm going to eat at Zaxby's. Uh, I guess it's Sunday lunch, you know. But families all get together. But how incredible would that be for you to do Sunday lunch to actually talk about some of the content or really what God spoke to you about, about a Sunday sermon or, or a song that ministered to you and, and to bring that into the context 
a family. You don't have to have kids to do this. You just have, have to have a family. And a family happens when, with husband and wife, just as we've talked about with Adam and Eve. They become a family way before they had children. Maybe it's a gain night. I don't know. The possibilities for a weekly connection thing are kind of endless. And some of this happens in the stage of life that you're in too. Marlo alluded to this earlier. It's like we're kind of in a weird stage of life because we have a senior in high school and we have somebody who's just going into middle school. So my heart has really been kind of racing this week and school just starting. Been a little bit exhausting. Amen, parents? A little bit exhausting. And yet my my heart's kind of been stirring because I'm thinking, man, I've got a senior in high school. Made me, making me think back, okay, what have I done? What, what have we done? Have we done things well? Have we pointed our kids to Jesus? Have I pointed my son to Jesus like I should have? And yet, and then I look at, I look at G, and I'm like, man, she's middle school now, and she's, things are going to start moving forward. So this message has really been ministering to me and making me really evaluate what I do and who I am as a father and who I am as a husband, and I hope that it would do the same for you. We have seasonal connection traditions, just seasons. Something that I've done, and this is not for everybody. Um, you may think I'm weird for doing this, and that's cool. I'm weird for a bunch of other reasons, so you stick around. You'll find out more about me. But um, something that I've done for years with my kids is I'll just go on father and, and child camping trips. And I'll get out, and, and I just share some intentional scriptures with them. And I just, I'll bring a passage or a scripture, and we'll just talk about it, whether we're hiking or camping or around a campfire or just hanging out. doesn't have to be complicated. You just have to do it. You just have to do it. But those just happen every once in a while, so it's just kind of a seasonal thing. They have something, uh, actually in this community, an amazing opportunity for you. Habitat for Humanity has uh, the Daddy-Daughter Dance. I've gone every year since I've been here, and it's, there are hundreds of, of people there. It's incredible. But the, the Daddy-Daughter Dance, to where uh, you know, your daughter and, and daddy get out, and they dance and have fun, and, and we make it a big deal around our house. And, and that's something that our community does. And all you have to do, and that's a seasonal tradition. That's something that you can kind of just incorporate into your life. And the work's already done for you. It's easy. You just have to do it. Just have to do it. We have other life development traditions. We do the first haircut and all that stuff. and you know, um, A bunch of other things that we automatically do. And those things kind of come easy. The spiritual things we have to really be intentional about. Maybe you're you're kind of you're needing some some spiritual growth traditions. So we have those things that we talked about. But then also, maybe for you, you just need to like start talking about baptism with your children because that's a big deal. After somebody receives Christ and then they get baptized, that's like that's telling everybody else publicly, "Hey, I've been changed by Jesus, and I want you to know." Maybe that's a tradition that you need to start. You need to follow through with believer's baptism yourself. What would it look like for your family to have a day where you all got baptized together? To where mother and father just said, you know what? Our husband and wife just said, you know what? We're going to do this together. And that they would even model it for the rest of their family. It would be so impactful. Celebrating salvation, celebrating baptism... Baby dedication, it's not baptism, but just 
dedicating them, saying, we are going to raise our kids in a, in a godly home, and I want you to help. Um, the second takeaway uh, this morning, so that was, I told you, the front end would be a lot. Uh, the, the second takeaway, really drawing this from verse 48, and, and we see that, that with Mary and Joseph, they actually do this wrong, so we're taking the flip side of that, and we're going to try and do it right. Um, she says, or, yeah, his mother said to him, uh, Mary says to Jesus, Son, why are you treating us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. They're lost in the woods. They have no idea. They're like, Jesus, why would you do that? And it's almost like a scolding tone when I read that. Um, things in the Bible, many times we read them void of emotion, but every part of the Bible is written with emotion in mind. And if we get back to the original text and in, in, in understanding, it's like there's emotion there. And I think that she's, she, it's almost like a, a trying to be a scolding tone to Jesus. And it's like, hello, it's Jesus, you know. But she's actually, she's not affirming the right things. And Jesus goes through and he says, wouldn't you have thought that I would want to be in my father's house? So the takeaway, and I've just flipped the coin on this, is we need to affirm the right things. We need to affirm the right things. We celebrate home runs. We celebrate dance recitals. We celebrate um, sports and activities. But, but do we celebrate spiritual growth? Do we affirm the right things in our home? Do we affirm the grace of God in our home? Do we show the grace of God in our home? Do, do your relationships, husband and wife, even friendships, do you, do you affirm the grace of God with one another? Do you, do you show an active life of confession and repentance before God? Do you show that? We need to affirm the right things. One of the things that maybe we kind of get lost on too is we need to, to show our kids that, that Christ is winning. That there's hope in Jesus. Because there's so many pressures in the outside world, that, and, and even we've started to believe that we're not winning anymore. And we watch the news, and we feel like the whole world's coming in around us. And we feel like we're losing, but Jesus is on the throne, church. There's hope in Christ. There's not hope in doing life the way you want to do it. There's not. That's false hope. But there's hope in doing life the way Jesus wants you to do it. There's no hope in you trying to raise your kids the way you want to raise them. There's no hope in you trying to have your marriage the way you want to raise them. That's all false hope. But for your family to reach their full potential, we have to get back to doing what Jesus said to do and doing what Jesus did. And we see that all through the Scriptures. We have to affirm the right things. Give hope to our kids and reassure them. Maybe it's... Maybe it's even in the context of marriage because you have a spouse who watches the news and you know it's just like a roller coaster of negativity and you just need to kind of go through and say and maybe just even do a little accountability in your marriage, which is a great thing, and just sit back and say, yeah, I know these things are going on in the Middle East right now, but but Jesus is still on the throne. We're we're still on the winning side, and that's holding each other accountable. That way we we know where our hope. Lies that Christ stays as the foundation and the cornerstone of our faith. We need to encourage spiritual growth. We need to encourage growth. 
This is going to be very simple. If your child is old enough to read a storybook, your child is old enough to read a storybook Bible. If your child is old enough to talk, your child is old enough to pray. If your child is old enough to learn the the fundamentals of how to play softball or to learn the, the disciplines of a dance routine, they're old enough to learn some of the disciplines of the faith. If they're old enough to to prepare themselves for school, when they get up and they have to get their clothes on, they have to prepare for school, they're old enough to to, to prepare their day with prayer and with a little bit of time of study and devotion. Maybe even preparing their hearts before they come into this place, whether they're in this room or they're in DBC Kids. Maybe parents, this is something that you need to where you've settled for no growth. And you've just kind of settled in every aspect of that. And you're like, you know what? I'm comfortable where I am. I have to tell you, if you are comfortable where you are, you are in the most dangerous place that you can even imagine. Sure, Christ is our comfort, but we should be continually trying to progress to be more like Jesus every day. And we should encourage spiritual growth in one another. We have a guys group that meets every Friday morning. And we've met for uh, some, some facets of that group, and I mentioned this last week. We've been meeting for probably a year and a half, um, probably a year and a half. And one of the best things about it is the fact that we kind of talk about it. We're real with each other. We hold each other accountable, and we share with one another, and we encourage each other to grow. We don't encourage each other to be stagnant in our faith. We don't encourage each other to say, hey, you're doing great as a dad, just keep doing what you're doing. We encourage each other to, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's what the Word of God says. That we encourage growth in one another. But I have to ask you this, does that happen in your marriage? Do you encourage growth in one another? That has to happen in your home first. But you have to hold each other accountable. Marla and I had just an amazing conversation yesterday about this and just talking about how there's such a loss of accountability in, in Christians today. And you may not be, you may not be comfortable with, with asking somebody across the room right now to, to hold you accountable, but for goodness sakes, you should be able to hold each other accountable in the context of marriage. I mean, if God has put you together, you certainly should be able to hold one another accountable as you try and grow to be more like Christ. The last thing this morning, I, I drew this from verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And I will say this about the word wisdom. Um, it, it comes from a Greek word, Sophia. And it means this. It means the capacity to understand and to act on it. So it's not just the, the capacity to understand, but like, oh, I get it. Oh, yeah, 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 I get that. But it's the, the capacity to understand and act on it. So Jesus, at this age, as he's growing, progressing through the years, he is, he is understanding. He is, I mean, he is just rocking the, the, the religious leader's world in this context as he's sitting there, and they're in awe of the things that he's saying. So he's growing in wisdom and in stature. It just means maturity, in favor with God and men. And the last one is this. 
We have a choice to live. We have a choice of what dimension that we want to live our life. So teach them, teach your kids, spouse, marriage, rest of your family, teach them to live in the right dimension. That seems kind of, kind of obscure. Here's what I mean. Saying there's three different dimensions. There's, there's one dimension, we really talked about this last week, and that's living one-dimensionally, is that's just living for yourself. That's just doing everything you want to do. Um, that's just, it's all about you. Um, if you, you know, you, you kind of live your life, you make all your choices, it's a matter of what I want to do, and I want to go to school, and it's all a matter of my happiness, and I'm trying to get everything I can, and if I have to walk on other people, that's what I'm going to do, because it's ultimately about me. So that's, that's, the, the, that's the single, that's the first dimension. Of course, that's not a good dimension. Then there's a the second dimension, and you see this oftentimes in worldly marriage, to where it's just, it's kind of like you live in two dimensions. It's kind of like, well, it's a partnership. That marriage is a partnership. It's just between me and my spouse. And if I want to get out of it, it's cool. I'll just get out. Because it's only two dimensions. It's just, it's just us two. And it's just, that's just the way it is. And if I don't like what's happening, if my needs aren't being met, then I'm out. And that's a problem that has evaded the church as much as it has the secular world because the divorce rate for both is about the same. Christians have lost it. They've, they've lost what the value of, of marriage and what that means. And I believe because we've been kind of, we've been having these family structures and it's just living in two dimensions, it's a matter of getting what I want, and then you, you get what you want. But what if we, what if we tried to, to, to build a family in the th- third dimension? The third dimension is, there's me, there's Jesus, and there's everything else I am supposed to do, and everything else that I do, do. Which means this, for a parent, that means that it's not just you and your child, that would be two dimensions. And if it's just you two, that's where codependency is. But if you invite Christ into that, that's the third dimension. That's all three of you. That means you raise your kids. Well, how am I supposed to raise my kids? Well, Jesus, because I've invited him, I'm living in three dimensions. Jesus says that I should raise godly offspring. Well, how do I do that? Well, I want to connect them to a church. I want to help them grow spiritually. I want to encourage growth. I want to affirm the right things. I want to incorporate these these family traditions. But that's in raising kids. That's three dimensions, inviting Christ into that. But how does that affect you at work? That means when you go to work, there's you, work, and you bring Jesus with you everywhere you go. So when you're married, it isn't just a partnership and we're like, you know what, yeah, there's me and this person, and as long as we're getting our needs met, everything's cool, but as soon as that breaks down, we're out. It's saying, no, God has actually bonded us, so He is the one, and we have not made a partnership that I can get out of, but I've made a covenant with God that I cannot get out of. Because the Word of God tells us very, very clearly that the Lord hates divorce. Hates it. He uses those words in Malachi. Hates it. Those words aren't used very often in Scripture, but when they are, we need to pay very close attention. Your family has an immense amount of potential. My hope for you, that you'd be able to go back to this, this, this really this, this full message with all of the application that has been mentioned, that you'd be able to go out and that you'd be able to sit back in, in five and ten years and say, you know what? 
man, I think my family, they're starting to reach their full potential. We've, we've done some things. We've created some traditions. I've, I've affirmed the right things. I've encouraged some spiritual growth. And I've taught them to bring Jesus everywhere. And now we're starting to live a little bit more free. Starting to find our purpose as a family. And we've even found our full potential. 